Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 Podcast Kit, visit Shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit TheOldMillPress.com. And by listeners like you. Hi, this is Alan Bodner, art director, and you're listening to Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast, the show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's in theaters, and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. Hello, it's Al John Go, musician and longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culturist. And you can contact me, Al John, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossert, artist, filmmaker, author, and yo-ho-ho. Welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Al John. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just <laughs> been an unbelievable week. And today yeah. is the 22nd anniversary of the 9-11 terror attacks on the World Trade Centers. Uh, uh, and, and it's just unbelievable that it was 22 years ago. I mean, I remember exactly where I was that day and what was going on. Same. I mean, it was just absolutely crazy. Same. Okay. So let's let, to make it brief. Where were you and what were you doing? You know, I went when the first plane hit the first tower, I was on the freeway in Los Angeles heading to my office at the Disney Studios. Yeah. And I was listening to Danny Bonaducci, yeah. who was doing he was a ra- morning, morning radio, radio guy. DJ yeah. in, in L.A. Yeah. Uh, and for those out there, Danny, Danny Bonaducci was Danny on the Partridge family. Yes. Uh, television show. And I was listening to him and uh, and that's when they started talking about like there was this horrible accident. Nobody knew at that moment that it was a terror attack, you know, and then when I got into my office, I had an AV uh, cart in my office that had a television on it and all of that. And I I popped the television on and uh, and I watched the second plane hit the second tower. Mm. Uh, and that at that moment, you know, everybody knew that this was not an accident, that this was, you know, we were under attack at that point, you know, and yeah. it was it was unbelievable. Um, and, and it's like those memories are seared into my mind. And by the way, uh, at uh, our home, uh, we were one of the few houses on our street that had satellite TV. Yes. And. And most people on the street had cable. And the night before, somebody had broken into the cable vault uh, 
in the neighborhood and stole equipment out of it. And so nobody had nobody had cable working. Oh, my goodness. And so, the uh, you know, when I called, I called home when I got to the office and Nancy was telling me that a bunch of neighbors had come over and were watching TV in our living room. Yeah, I can only yeah. imagine. Yeah, what, so what, it, was, it, was, it was pretty crazy, but it's it's just hard to believe that not only is it 22 years, but, you know, just a few days ago, they've identified two more 9-11 victims. Oh, and it's my the, goodness. The first identifications in two years, these were DNA identifications of remains. And it, I mean, can you imagine that 22 years after they identified a man and a woman and they're identified as victim 1,648th and 1,649th victims identified so far oh. by the medical examiner's office. And, and there's about 1,100 people uh, who still remain unidentified. You know, there was a total of 2,753 people who were essentially reported missing in lower Manhattan after the attacks on the World Trade Center. Mm. And the death certificates were issued for all 2,753 people. Unbelievable. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just shocking, you know, that uh, it's it's 22 years. Um, I mean, yeah. just amazing. Where were you? Do you remember? I do. So uh, I was, I, some of our listeners know, Dave, you know uh, that we performed for the Armed Forces Entertainment and USO Tours. Yeah. So our second, our second uh, tour overseas playing in the Middle East for the USO, we were performing on the road. We leave and 9-11 happened. We were actually setting up for our very first date of the tour in, I, I want to say it was uh, Camp X. I'll, I'll just call it that. It was, it was an undisclosed location uh, in the Middle East, and we were setting up, and the colonel um, brought us over to the performance hall slash mess hall, and we were setting up for our show that night, and all the screens. In the very back, they had a bunch of um, flat panel screen TVs, and yeah. everybody was eating, grabbing their lunch, and then the tower got hit, and of course CNN was on, and the base was scrambling, and we were going, what just happened? And the colonel comes over and says, son, I think we're going to have to postpone this performance tonight. And then later on, he said, okay, just go ahead and let's put the equipment away. You guys are going to be staying here with us. And um, I think it was in, in Bahrain is where it was, Dave. Yeah. And yeah. then you get, you're going to stay here with us. And as far as I know, the tour has been suspended indefinitely. So we and stayed. How, how, how long, how long were you in Bahrain for? A week, a week and a half. Wow. So a week yeah, and a half. Because there, there was like, they shut down uh, all air traffic. They did. Right? They did. Uh, for, for some period of time. Yep. Yep. They did. We, so we ended up staying um, at a ho uh, at a hotel, a nice hotel, of course, um, with the Marines looking after us, but we stayed in a civilian hotel and we ended up watching the news, just devastated, had a hard time calling home. Mm -hmm. I was, I was, um, <laughs> I was in I was trying to call Kristen my wife uh, who was then my girlfriend and I said uh, what what are you doing of course she she was like what's going on what's going on because she works late nights and doing retail at the time and as I turned on the TV and she had no idea mm. and um, 
you know, they had closed the malls and everything, but yeah, I was stuck over there and, and uh, we ended up playing shows in the hotel, uh, trying to entertain some troops and some, some locals at this hotel, which was nice, Mm. but it's a kind of a surreal thing to be in the middle East when this thing happens. Oh yeah. You know, but it is scary, but you know, we had um, some very nice people there. And so we, we couldn't have been in better hands with the, with the Marines Mm. and, but I'll never forget it. I mean, going back home was a complete disaster. You know, we spent a lot of time at London Heathrow just trying to get our stuff through customs that the world had changed overnight. Yeah. In so many different ways. Yeah. And definitely yeah, for I air mean, travel. Can, can, can you, can you remember the, like before nine 11, you could just go to the airport and just walk right down to the gate. You can right? walk down to the gate. We had no yeah. problems. There was you no, know. there was no security. And then they, they put in all this haphazard tables and, you know, x-ray machines. And it was just chaotic for a while after it, that. It certainly was. It was chaotic. And you know, me right after that, um, my life revolved around traveling, um, you know, for the Gibson Guitar Company, and so yeah. of course we we all did the every week. I was going through the TSA shuffle. But, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, and by and by the way, I will tell you that uh, when once I got to my office, I was only there for a little while before a security guard came, knocked on my door, and said, "We're closing the facility. You should go home." Yeah, and, and they they closed they closed the whole studio down that how, day. How long how long was the studio closed for? You know, I think it was only for that day or two at at best, you know, before, before we we were back to some kind of normalcy, you know, I'll never forget it, Dave. I mean, we we were sitting there and at the time I was a smoker with the rest of my band and I, I quit smoking because I couldn't handle it anymore. It was Mm. just ridiculous. It was just like, it was too much. It was stressful you know, and I, I was like, all of us were sitting there having coffee and reading the newspaper and watching TV in the hotel lobby. And it's like, I can't handle it. I'm, I'm going to quit cold turkey. That Good was for you. It. That was it. <laughs> well, hey, listen, I, you know, I, I, I want to say that we have uh, part four of a five part interview oh because next week we're going to have part five and that's it with Dave Spafford. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking everything today from him uh, going on from uh, who framed Roger rabbit onto the little mermaid. He talks about the little mermaid and then also talks about uh, how he's uh, set up uh, Spaff animation. He talks about that a little bit. Uh, and, and next week we're going to get into, um, you know, more of Spaff animation and the parties that his infamous parties mm. at his mm-hmm. Friday night uh, parties at his house, how those came about mm-hmm. uh, and some uh, hair raising stories with the police visiting. Uh, so we're looking forward to all of that, but today it's going to be part five and I can't wait for us to get to it. Absolutely. In the meantime, um, once again, leave us those uh, great emails as well. I mean, I know that there's been a lot of chatter about our, our shows with Dave Spafford on online. And uh, you know what I love about it is that we decided to make these shows completely uncensored. Um, that way it, people can can check out the, you know, exactly what, what Dave's talking about. And I, I believe it just lends itself to the authenticity of the, the storytelling. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing I'm going to say about the guests we have on our show is that they're telling their stories through their lens, through their viewpoints. 
and Dave is no different. And, and certainly Dave uh, uh, is a wild man. Uh, the, the, there's no question about it. Um, he, he's, he's an excitable guy, uh, and he's a great storyteller. And, and so, you know, we're going to, I, I think we're at the beginning of this part four, we're going to touch on a little of that controversy, uh, that, that popped up on social media after, uh, part two. So mm. anyway, controversy, to that. you know what they say, Dave, controversy <laughs> creates cash. It, don't, it, don't it? it really does. They also say funny is money. Oh yeah. <laughs> funny is money. <laughs> Well, that definitely having Dave on for this unprecedented five weeks in a row is ins- going to be insane. So uh, what have you been watching this week, Dave? Well, Al John, I went to go- I went to see in the movies Gran Turismo. OK, we talked about this video game yeah, race movie. And I said it wasn't high on my list, but I went to see it and I love this movie. This was a great oh, film. Nice. And now if you're a racing fan. Uh, like I am, and I've been to some Formula One races, and I've watched uh, indie races on on television and whatnot. Uh, if you're a fan of racing, you definitely want to go see this uh, in the theater. You want to see this on a big screen because they do a fantastic job. There's a great cast here: Orlando Bloom, David Harbor from mm-hmm. Stranger Things mm-hmm. is in this. Um, it is absolutely. Uh, without a doubt, a really feel good movie. Okay. okay? Yeah. I, I put this in, I put this in the camp with remember Rudy. Yes. Great. You it's know, probably the quintessential sports movie. Yeah, right? It's like the quintessential feel good sports movie, Rudy and like Rocky, you know, those yeah, are the kind and, of, and, and, you know, Friday night lights. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I put it in that category. Blindside. Okay? Kind of like that. Uh, yeah, exactly. I put it in. I put it in that category. This is just a very uplifting, um, you know, film where the underdog, uh, you know, really wins at the end. And, okay. So, so yeah. So and more. By the way, yeah. it's based on a true story. Okay. So this is more. This is more Rudy than Days of Thunder. Then. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Without question. <laughs> All right. You know, and, and definitely and not Talladega got, Nights. And, <laughs> and, and, and by the way, just a great cast. Uh, right. I highly recommend this film. See it in the theaters uh, because the racing sequences are fantastic. Okay. Um, and and the real the real kid who becomes the race driver from doing the uh, PlayStation uh, Gran Turismo game mm-hmm. and advances to actually racing real cars. Mm-hmm. He's the stunt double for the kid that plays him in the movie, and he does all the driving. Oh, that's unbelievable. Yeah. What so a story. It, it, yeah, it's a really terrific movie, really a great feel-good film. Highly recommend it. Love it. Um, aside from that, uh, I did uh, catch up with uh, Ahsoka yeah. on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. I'm all caught up on that. I'm enjoying it. I I actually uh am liking it. Uh uh there was that big uh reveal, that surprise moment at the end of episode four. Certainly. I won't spoil it for anybody, Certainly. but uh that's really terrific. As 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 Hayden Christensen had said before in the prequels, this is where the fun begins. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh and then uh on Amazon Prime I watched a few episodes uh of a show called Chelsea Detective. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's just a British uh detective procedural. 
Okay. Uh, and then I finished watching the third season. There's only three seasons of Hinterland, which takes place in Wales. Gotcha. And, you know, this is a, a little bit slower police drama, a uh, little bit more cerebral. But I will tell you that there is an arc across all three seasons that gets tied up in the last episode of season three. Mm. And it's actually incredible. Okay. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I love the cinematography. I love the location. Um, and uh, for me, I recommend it. It's not going to be for everybody because it is a slower, more, more thoughtful kind of a show. Right. Uh, so I just want to put that out there for everybody. Cool. That's what I've been watching. What have you been watching? Well, this week, I too, uh, it, it's been a slow week, but I too got caught up on Ahsoka. I think this is the best episode to date. And uh, the series for me is is doing great. So I continue to, to support it and uh, look forward to more great Star Wars. I also, yeah, by, yeah. by the way, I, d- I did want to mention too in, in that fourth episode that I watched, yeah. I really like the fact that there's that Asian actor, and I don't know his name, but he's the ex ex fighter, yeah, yeah. ex wing fighter, yep, ex wing fighter, yeah, uh, pilot, yeah. Uh, and he's been in all of these shows. Yeah, it's kind of like the Nick Fury, he's kind of like, um, um, I guess he's the kind of uh, thread that kind of goes between the Mandalorian and Ahsoka and yeah, oh, you he's, know, he's, he's, he's everywhere. Like this familiar face. Yep. He's always in the seat of an X fighter. Yep. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I just love that. I love seeing some of those characters crossing over between these multiple shows. Oh yeah. I, I think he, he is great now. Um, you know, the funny thing about this character of his is that he is, um, he he started as just a fan, I believe, and then ended up being so good that they gave him a, a regular role. And is that right? Yeah, I think so. I'm I'm trying wow. to look for I'm trying to look for it now uh, for Ahsoka, but um, but anyway, it'll 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 come to me. It'll come to me. But anyway, yeah, wonderful wonderful character actor, and it's nice to see them kind of inhabiting uh, the space and kind of being the thread for all of these. Yeah. Uh, these shows which is nice it, it, yeah it, i mean it's subtle but but he's recognizable and he's always in the same uh you know spacecraft yep oh, and yep. uh and, and to have him you know be that link between these different shows and movies is really i i think uh very smart of them yeah i think so too and uh so i also ended up seeing a show called night night uh movie on amazon and this is a kind of a thriller movie. Uh, the I was going to say, is this a horror movie? <laughs> uh, kind of. It's more. It's more of a thriller. Um, after waking up from a horrific car accident, April must find a way to work through her trauma and a will to survive a recovery from hell. And it's um, it, it's one of those uh, interesting. It, it's trying to be like an M Night Shyamalan movie with a twist. Uh, I would say the highlights uh, for this uh, is definitely the lead, uh, Brianna Diamenico, who was in the uh, Descendants from Disney. Um, she is in this. Taylor Gray as well. Uh, so there's a couple known actors, but here's the thing: on there is Tony Todd. Tony Todd has played so many 
iconic roles in horror like the Candyman, and then also um, um, Roberts. Eric Roberts is in here, but they they're on them listed as cast. I'm like, well, certainly it's going to be a good movie. Eric Roberts and, and Tony Todd's in it. They play like very small roles in it. So I felt a- like, Eric Roberts yeah. is like the hardest working actor in Hollywood. Yes. He's in everything. He's literally everything. in everything. If you look on Eric Roberts, IMDB page, it's literally like he's in 20 films every year. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But, and, and it may be just a small role, but he's there. I know it's a face. You don't, you don't forget. And he got, he of course has great, you know, these actors, could learn a thing or two because every scene where Tony Todd is in or Eric Robertson, they just literally have that gravitas, the, their mm-hmm. magnetism just engulfs the camera. So I feel sorry for other actors that have to be in there with them because they're so good, <laughs> even though they're in there for like two minutes. <laughs> so, yeah. but uh, all in all, I was disappointed because I feel like the plot was okay, but um, ultimately the twist was kind of convoluted. So it got in a way of itself. So this is definitely a, a thumbs down for me. So I say pass. But I tell you what I didn't pass on is watching one of my favorite bands this week. Um, we celebrated our anniversary, my wife and I's anniversary early, uh, by seeing the Smashing Pumpkins uh, performing at the amphitheater here in Franklin. And uh, Oh, wow. So yeah. you saw them live. I, I saw I them live. You say that you were going to, it was a documentary or oh. a live concert film or something. Nope. nope. We saw them live and it was amazing. Uh, you know, if you love the smashing pumpkins, they're one of the great uh, titular bands of the, the 1990s. It's mm-hmm. so many hit songs and they've continued to rock out. They've got this new kind of, um, I would say it's kind of like their version of the wall kind of concept album, a tomb, which is out now. I believe it's a double album uh, and it's amazing. It's, it's a more mature smashing pumpkins, but definitely still smashing pumpkin sound. Um, the band was great. We went backstage and, and met the guitar player. Um, didn't have a chance to talk to Billy Corgan at all because, but I think he's a brilliant writer and just such a great person. And, uh, just kind of exchanged uh, looks backstage and just just seemed like a, a really nice guy. But um, it was really great, Dave. So if you get a chance to see them on this tour, uh, I feel that uh, if I have an opportunity to see a band live that I want, I'm going to go out there and do it because you never know if these bands, something will happen to them. So. Well, you know, uh, I, uh, Al John, I'm not a big person for concerts. Yep. But when I do go to a concert, it's usually a killer one. Like, oh, you know, yeah. I did the Rolling Stones 50th tour. Yep. You know, I've seen, uh, you know, Jefferson uh, Starship or Jefferson Airplane yep. or whatever you want to call them. Yep. Uh, I've seen um, Billy Joel. Know, Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac, Billy Joel, Elton John. But, you know, that's over, you know, 40 years. Paul Simon. Sure. You know, Paul McCartney. Yeah. But I, I really don't go to concerts very often. Yeah, yeah. But you know what, though? It's those moments that you take with you. You get the experience. You get to see some of your favorite bands. And since you're a huge Beatles fan, and I I saw the Beatles post you made earlier, you know. um, Yeah. You know, it's just great to see some of your favorite bands. And like I said, I I love the bands of the 90s, and this is one of the biggest bands. So great show. By the way, I did see The Who at the Hollywood Bowl. Are you rubbing it in, Dave? <laughs> that was a good show. Wow, my anyway. foot hurts from me dropping all those names. Uh, but it's yeah, that's awesome. That and it's great. Like I, I think one of my favorite concerts uh, I've ever been to was Fleetwood Mac and the reunion uh, tour that yeah. they did uh, before Christy McVie passed. 
And, yeah, uh, that was the one I, I I think I saw that tour, and that was uh, I saw them at the uh, the the Anaheim Pond. Yeah, well, we had a great venue. It's a good yeah. venue. Yeah, so uh, get out there if you can and support live music, support musicians. So definitely very cool. There you go. All right, now and from there we go into skull rock podcast ripped from the headlines it's skull rock podcast headline news well dave the uh, d23 destination d event is happening right now or has happened and there's some great uh, i guess great news happening uh but i will say this to preempt all this is that uh, i saw some of the live stream and the disney sentiment overall for just your average person uh has kind of turned for pop hiker <laughs> It just, it went from being great before he left the company, like Bob is awesome, to yeah. Bob, uh, what are you doing? Um, pay your actors, <laughs> pay, pay your writers. And uh, I, th- I think he needs to get out of that mess, that's for sure. Listen, you know, it, it, Iger's got a, he's, he's got a tough road ahead of him uh, over the next year to turn this ship. I mean, there, he, he's really good, been putting out one fire after another. Um, I still have total confidence in, in, that he's going to turn it uh, and uh, get things back to where they should be yeah. uh, at the Walt Disney Company. So, you know, I, I'm not going to jump on that bandwagon. Uh, I think he's a great leader and he's somebody who he's going to get the job done. All right. Well, I've I've been a Bob Iger supporter for a while and read his book and have tremendous respect. So I'm hoping he can bring the company back to uh, its former glory. I'm not so, hoping he's going he's to. He's going to. There you go, Dave. He's going to go. do it. There you go. Okay. Uh, so details uh, have come out about the new destination, the or I'm sorry, the Avengers Campus at Disney, uh, Disney California Adventure. It's going to be a multi-themed universal ride or universe ride uh, for the multiverse, Dave. Did you know about this? That big Avengers no. building? They're turning it into a brand new Marvel multiverse ride. Where Where's all this the, going? This is going to be over there in uh, Disneyland, over D- California Adventure, the new Disney uh, Avengers campus. That big building is going to be opening up to be a ride, a multiverse-themed ride, where you join the heroes of the Marvel Cinematic Universe to defeat King Thanos in the future. And apparently there's going to be a big vehicle that'll take people down. So I think there's going to be that pre-show. People can ride this kind of Wakanda vehicle, it looks like, uh, into a timeline, a different time stream, and you get to fight against different villains. So that looks to be really cool there at Avengers Campus. So that big building is going to be put to use. And then... Big changes announced for D23 in 2024. Yes, they announced that D23 is going to be coming back in Anaheim August 9th through 11th. And it's going to be called, of course, the uh, D23, the ultimate fan event. Wow. uh, So they've moved it back into August. They've moved it back into September. I think there was a lot of blowback for the September dates. Yeah, that was not good because the kids were already back to school or something like that. So it's like, yeah. I think they're going to have a bigger, bigger showing uh, doing it the 9th to the 11th. Yes. So the official kickoff will be at Disneyland on August 8th. Of course, it's a big ticket event. Everybody needs to go out there. Um, We've done it in the past many, many times. Uh, so the, um, this will be separately ticketed event. Of course, it goes on sale now in spring of 2024. So that's really big news that the event is kind of shifted back. Cool. Now, 
Bigger news, uh, Disney drops most claims in a lawsuit against Ron DeSantis over Florida special district deal. Uh, Dave, this is something we saw coming a mile away. Uh, They're putting it to bed. Well, not completely. Uh, They they you know, they when they filed the suit, they they threw a big net out. And I think now what they've done is they've narrowed it down to what they know they're going to be able to win. Oh, okay, I see. All right. So they're not dropping at all. They've dropped uh, a number of uh, things that they were going after DeSantis for. But they're still they're still going to court. It's, it's not over. Happening. It's not over until I say it's, it's over. It's not over until it's over. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, speaking of Iger, uh, Disney's wildest ride, Iger, Chapek, and the making of an epic succession mess or secession mess. And Dave, this talk, this article coming to us from CNBC talks about uh, the goings on, the comings and the goings of, of Bob Chapek and the reintroduction of Bob Iger and the challenges uh, therein. So uh, what, what is your big takeaway of this? Cause there's a lot of talk. I, about this it. was a very lengthy in-depth yeah. article that was very well researched on yeah. CNBC. And uh, it, it really tells the full story of this whole mess with Chapek flaming out and Iger coming back and um it's a great read for anybody who really wants to know what uh went on behind the scenes i see all right very cool so please check that out for sure we've been talking about this ad nauseum here on the show but we'll continue to keep tabs on it speaking of disney charter hit with a class action lawsuit over disney carriage shutdown um like a lot of people in my uh my parents uh, in my uh, in-laws neighborhoods they have no abc because of this um dave what's the latest and greatest from this uh, drama of abc not well being you know this is this is a uh inflection point this is this is a a moment where uh you know pay tv bundles have to change in order for them to continue to compete with streaming services uh and char charter uh which owns spectrum uh, is digging their heels in, and so is Disney. There's a lot of finger pointing. You know these carriage uh, disputes uh, where you know a channel goes dark usually for a day or two, and then it's back on. Uh, this one's lasting longer because it is a pivotal moment uh, with the the uh, pay TV bundle TV you know channels. Uh, the you know the cable uh, services they have to figure out uh, a new way uh to uh be relevant and to uh continue to make money uh so that's what's happening here and i suspect that this will resolve itself it's just taking much longer and uh i think it's going to hurt disney more than it hurts uh charter spectrum uh the ceo of charter has already said that they're prepared to just walk away and not have uh disney on their uh pay tv bundles mm-hmm. so you know, it, it'll play out over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, I already got the notice that um, my Disney Plus plan is going to change and increase in price. So I've got to go back in and figure out which version of Disney Plus I'm going to get. Plus, I already have ESPN and Hulu bundled with that. So who knows yeah. what's going to happen? Jeremy Rayner's May of Kingston, uh, Kingstown is renewed for season three. Um, this is one of the hit shows of the streaming service. So uh, Dave, what do you say about that? I mean, Jeremy Renner returning. 
Yeah, I well, I love uh, Mayor of Kingstown. It's a great show. Uh, I've watched both seasons uh, on Paramount Plus, and uh, the fact that it's renewed for season three was great to see. Uh, when I read the article, uh, they actually had known that they were renewing it many months ago, but hadn't announced it because of Jeremy Renner's accident. Yes, and they wanted to make sure to, that he was uh, healing properly and uh, on to on the road to. Uh, um, you know, recovering from that horrific accident. I mean, he 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 broke over thirty bones on his body. Uh, I I am so pleased, and it makes my heart warm to know that Jeremy Renner's okay, that he's recovering, yeah. but that he can return and keep on a thrilling audiences with his work, like Mayor of Kingston. So I'm very happy about it, and uh, congratulations, and Jeremy, we wish you uh, just continued health, good health. Um, this seems to be a long time coming, Dave. Danny Masterson, uh, from that '70s show, sentenced to 30 years to life for uh, the the raping of two women. There's no other uh, gentle way to put this. Uh, he had three counts of of that assault in 2020, and was also denied a new trial and faced prison term up to life in prison. Wow, Dave, um, I never would have thought that. Uh, someone like this, like an actor in this beloved TV show would be a, be a predator like this. And lo and behold, here he is. So, uh, Hey, you do the crime. You're going to do the time. Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. In May, a jury of seven women and five men found Masterson guilty of the crime. He, uh, that he did back in 2003. And, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not even going to get into the meat and potatoes of this, but justice is being served. Yeah, I there, there's probably going to be an appeal on this, uh but uh it will be uh interesting to see how this plays out, but he's going to jail. Yeah, good. Good. Go to jail. Yeah. Um Winnie the Pooh, you sent me this Dave and I just <laughs> shook my head. Uh as our listeners know, Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey that I saw the abomination that was Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey on Amazon has a sequel and they have a first look with images revealed. Uh, currently in production, this film is a follow-up to the micro-budget British slasher that cost about $100,000 to make and earned $5.2 million globally. That's a success in my book, but the movie stinks. And <laughs> the original movie stunk. <laughs> and when you sent me this, I think I said, this movie's going to be a flaming hot piece of garbage. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I, listen, I have no interest in seeing a film like this, but you know, you you saw the first one. I saw it. I <laughs> yeah. saw it so you I and our listeners did. I this to you because I laughed when I saw it. Of know? course, and you immediately thought of me, didn't you? I did. Uh, I, I, see, I know how this works. So, I mean, I may just be a glutton for punishment, but maybe I'll see it again. <laughs> just just so I could say I, I, I saw the two films i'm 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 relying on you to see it okay so you can well, tell that, our listeners what you think yeah that's great <laughs> I, I feel like it, you're calling me out on a bet here like uh, <laughs> uh, this is a bad thing like i bet you won't smell that oh yeah i'll smell it all right it smells gross <laughs> um hey so a lost star wars x-wing fighter you know we were talking about x-wing fighters earlier uh shows up for auction decades after going missing from the hollywood reporter this model was discovered in a box as friends prepared for the auction of the Oscar nominated model maker, Chris Jen's collection bidding starts at $400,000. I, I think there'll be fierce bidding for this. Don't you? Yes. 
from so, the hardcore Star Wars fans. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is being uh, being billed as the missing X-wing part of the collection of Oscar-nominated model, model maker Greg Jin. Um, it'll be sold at Heritage Auction October fourteenth or fifteenth in Dallas, starting at four hundred thousand dollars. It was built, of course, by Industrial Light and, Light and Magic ILM, of course, the uh, effects house that George Lucas started. And this is Red One. This is the leader, the uh, of just four hero models. Yeah. Um, that of course, uh, Red One uh, was one of the five, and of course, Red Five was Luke Skywalker. So this is Red Leader's uh, X-wing. I can't believe it. How awesome is this? After well, all and these you know years? what's interesting is is that you know, and I didn't know this, but uh, the model shop and ILM were down in Los Angeles in the San Fernando Valley. That's right. Uh, uh, back then, uh, yep. before they moved up to Marin County. That's right. And uh, and so this apparently just got boxed up uh, by that model maker and and, and tucked away. Can you, I can't and I think it. now, you know, 40 years later or whatever, he's passed away and his collection is going up for auction. Isn't that unbelievable? Unbelievable. It, it's really something else. I think it's fantastic. I wonder what I, other treasures I, I love are. it when, when, you know, something as in, you know, an important artifact from a seminal movie, uh, you know, becomes found. Oh know? yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, people go nuts over star Wars, um, models and star trek models that just get uncovered that were part of the original production because people yeah. i mean those are the biggest tentpole franchises around like james bond i mean of course yeah. people want that uh speaking of big tentpole franchises godzilla tv series monarch legacy of monsters relief releases the first trailer um the legendary monsterverse series stars kurt russell wyatt russell and anna swy and i have to say that uh it's nice to see the father and son Russells in there together. It, it blew my mind. And yeah. of course I'm a huge Godzilla and, 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 fan. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say it. Of course I'm a huge Godzilla fan too. Yeah. And I'm a Kurt Russell fan. Yeah. I'm you know, I, th fan. I think Kurt Russell is fantastic. One of I the think, best actors know, of our time. If he's in something, I want to see him. That's right. I love it. So uh, check out the trailer for Apple TV plus. Um, this project of course stars the father and son of Kurt and Wyatt Russell. Um, it says who play the same character at a different ages. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, Wyatt looks so much like his father. It's, it's yeah, uncanny. Yeah. Um, the trailer also features John Goodman making a cameo appearance, reprising his role from Kong Skull Island. So I guess this is, I guess, kind of a, a sequel uh, to that. But it looks really, really cool. So be on the lookout for that as it launches a 10-episode series arc globally Friday, November 17th with two episodes. <laughs> That your favorite two episodes yeah, followed by oh, one episode. Thankfully, and yeah. also it's uh, when you watch the trailer, you realize it's a very high budget. It looks amazing, Dave. It looks like yeah. a film, and I love that. So yeah, I look looks like a feature film. I'm looking forward to seeing. It. I love Godzilla, yeah. and not so. Uh, and our regrets for this uh, for this week. Steve Harwell, Harwell the uh, lead singer of Smash Mouth, the founder and front uh, front man of the band dies at 46. Now, you know, um, 56, 56, 56, he passes away. Yes. Uh, the band founded uh, in 1994, only retired a couple years ago. One of my favorite bands from the early, late nineties and early two thousands, you know, they had that, uh, that hit song walking on the sun. He did that song for Shrek. I'm a believer. The monkeys cover, uh, all star was their biggest hit of all. And unfortunately it seemed like he had passed away because of, um, liver failure. And uh, 
Yeah, that's uh, very sad, you know, that his uh, his life took that turn. Uh, yeah, it's sad, but it's also infuriating because, you know, he did himself in, mm-hmm. you know, uh, alcohol, drug abuse. You know, he abused himself uh, over the years and uh, and killed his liver. Yeah. Yep. It's a shame. It's a shame. Uh, another uh, someone who lived a longer life, um, equally as uh, big of as a hit maker, was Gary Wright. And uh, I think people will know him from this particular uh, hit song. If I can cue this up, Dave, it's one of our favorites. There we go. Gary Wright passes away at the age of 80 after some battles with health. And of course, he's known for that song Dream Weaver and uh, Love Alive. Um, and I guess I'm trying to see the, the cause of his death. I mean, you know, he, he lived a, you know, a pretty good I life. Had, I think he had Parkinson's he disease Parkinson's. and some other stuff. Yeah. I'm trying to scroll down, but, uh, a very, very sad. I mean, uh, uh, I've never got to see Gary, Wright, But, uh, Dreamweaver is one of the songs that, uh, I've had to learn uh, for live band karaoke <laughs> in uh, over time. And I have play. I mean, I, I've listened to that song for a long time too. Anytime it comes on, I have to kind of drop what I'm doing and just listen because of it's kind of, a, you know, the way it was produced was just great. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those seminal songs, uh, you know, from, from what the eighties. Yeah. The seventies, I think it was the 80s. late seventies, yeah. early eighties. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it, it, it's a song that we've all heard and we all know the words to. Oh yeah. Yes, that's right. So uh, ABC news tells us he'd been paddling Parkinson's disease and Lewy body dementia for the past six years. Wow. Poor guy. Yeah. Well, anyway, Gary Wright, uh, Steve Harwell, please rest in peace. And now we have our featured interview of the week. Sit back and relax and listen to the controversy. (laughs) Uh, Well, maybe not so controversial, but at least the awesome interview that we have. Enjoy the time with our good friend in part four. Can't believe it. Dave Spafford unedited. Now, here's her language warning right here on Skull Rock Podcast. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast Interview time Well Al John here we are Back again for part Four of what's going to Be I think five part Interview with master Animator and incredibly talented Individual Dave Spafford Dave welcome back to the Skull Rock Podcast Yeah now, now, Dave, be, before we get into anything, I got to tell you, the first three parts of this interview that have dropped so far are off the charts. I mean, I'm getting a lot of comments and feedback from people. And you, you and I talked the other day and you, yeah. you it's go, it's blowing up for you, isn't it? Yeah. All these people that I thought were dead are like calling me. It's like it's <laughs> wonderful. You brought people back to life. There you go. Well, that's Skull Rock Podcast. We we yeah. breathe new life into yeah. dead people. Uh, <laughs> but but also there was a little bit of controversy when because uh, we had aired that story in part two about uh, the situation at the Don Bluth Studios on American Tale when you animated that Irish mouse telling the story to the whole crowd of of mice. 
and uh, I, I saw some feedback online from Sylvia, uh, the cleanup artist, who didn't quite remember it that same way. But I wanted I wanted you to touch on that for a second, if you could. Yeah, well, a hundred percent. Or I mean, maybe a portion of what I was going off on um, seemed to come off as her fault. Um, it was the process of the cleanup department because Bluth, you know, di didn't put new paper down. They would put, they would just take the drawing and needed erase, use a needed eraser and dab it down so that they could lay a line down. Yeah. But, and, and let me just interject here, because just so our listeners know, with the cleanup process at Disney, when you did rough, like the animator did a rough drawing. And when those drawings, those rough drawings went to a cleanup artist, the cleanup artist would put a rough drawing down on their disc, on their desk. And they'd put a fresh, clean sheet of paper on top of it. And with their backlight on, they'd be able to redraw the the single line that would be representative of the character, so to speak, right? Right. But at, at Bluth, our Xerox system was such crap, you know, and uh, any little thing that was on the paper, like the blue underneath the pencil line that you did. The, the, the rough, the, the rough blue drawing. So they would, they would have to dab it down and dab it down and it would still pick up, you know, because we didn't have the budget, I guess, to have a clean piece of paper. Um, and so, you know, a um, little bit of draftsmanship got lost in the process. And, you know, it's just something that happened. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of threw the whole thing into it being the cleanup person's fault, but it, the, the fault was, is that we didn't have the budget. To do for, it the right way, to do it to really the proper way, which was to do it the way that, a, to do it the way that uh, was set up for Xerox. Right. Uh, actually in the history of animation, they there was no such thing as cleanup really it was called it was like touch up your assistant would close in the lines so that your so that the the ink and paint department had knew where to ink to yeah so if a line was kind of rough they would throw in a line to you know to close it up so the inker knew where to go. The and, and, those, and those artists were were drawing a lot cleaner than a lot of the artists that followed were, that were doing very rough drawings, right? Yeah, if you look at if you look at the the roughs or if you look at any animation from a Disney film like you'd get something out of the morgue like we, we used to do you would see the blue drawing or the brown drawing underneath and then there'd be a a, a kind of a rough line over the top. I mean, it was well done and it was enough for the ink and paint department to the ink and paint department was the cleanup department. Really? Right. Right. The when ink, they were inking it onto cells. Right. And so uh, that was the process when Xerox came about in here, every little thing showed up and they just couldn't deal with it. So they started putting a new piece of paper down and doing a clean drawing. Now that, that um, if, if your cleanup people aren't 
as aren't, aren't as good a dressman as the animator, then that work is going to suffer. And the work suffered a lot in the in the time, you know, uh, when most studios were around, um, you know, because I've always felt this 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 will be the next uh, group of uh, emails. Uh, <laughs> I've always believed that that most people in animation now are were just fans of of animation. They weren't artists driven to this art form. They were fans that were smart enough to go, oh, maybe I could do that. But they really didn't have the the, the same chops that, you know, most people who grew up as artists. Yeah. I was shocked when, you know, the majority of people that I knew in animation never really drew. And I was just going, what? But they were fans of animation. I mean, I remember someone coming to the studio and I'm going, so what, what got you into animation? I just love Peter Pan. Just, I just love Peter Pan. I want to be <laughs> Peter Pan. And I was just going, what? I, I, I love Peter Pan. I just want to be Peter Pan. I want to be as close as I could to Peter Pan. I'm like going, dad, the, the, the dude wasn't real, man. You know, wake up. But there were a lot of people like that. Yeah. But those people sat in a seat and, and uh, worked on a film and destroyed some of my work and other people's work, you know, because they didn't have the chops that what it took to be. I see. I know I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Disney quality animation and, and only I'm not, I'm never talking about anything artistic or artsy or any of that. All that stuff is great. But, but Dave, I, I think in the defense of a lot of people that you and I have both worked with, a lot of these folks were good artists. Yes, you know, were. Some, some were better artists than others, but they were all at their core artists for the most part. Whereas, you know, there were people who were in certain positions that were just big animation fans that they just wanted to be part of the process. Yeah. And I knew a lot of people who never drew before in their life who were fans of animation, somehow got a job in it and became very good artists. Yeah. You know, so it it's a wide spectrum. I just sort of I sort of felt like the industry was bombarded with. Uh, uh, an influx of people who weren't quite weren't like the classically trained guys from the golden age, really, I think is what you're trying to say. Yeah. Al John, you wanted to jump in. Yeah. So, you know, with what you're saying, understand that the budget isn't what it could have been or, or had, how much of that is actually driven by the time? Because there you're in a, you're in a time crunch. Maybe the studio had to deliver X amount before the release date, you know, the certainly time played a, a factor in the efficiency or the artistic, you know, uh, product, right? Uh, you have to be I, quick. I got to right? tell you though, Al John, I, I would sit there and say in this particular instance, this was a financial decision by somebody at Don Bluth studio to sure. say, we're not going to go through that much paper. Let's preserve the, some money. But in the reality was that you spent more money having somebody trying to knock down a drawing than laying a fresh sheet of paper down yeah. and redrawing. There you go. I mean, that's just, uh, that's just, you know, uh, it's basic economics, you know, someone, someone that doesn't know the process dictating what the process should be to save a few pennies. Right. 
Exactly. It, it was right. penny wise, pound foolish, as they say. Yes. Right. I understood. I mean, there's 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 a thousand reasons why animation di- doesn't look or was, had a hard time competing with the past. Um, a lot of it was budget. I mean, when when we left Disney and formed Bluth, I mean, we went into a building that was not designed for animation. Uh, we had that was part of the time frame of working on that film was building a studio. And it's like, oh, uh, well, we don't have these nice Disney desks anymore. So they had a guy who didn't know anything about animation build desks out of plywood. And they, you know, and they, all these things were, it, it just felt like, oh, where am I? This isn't, this doesn't feel right. You know, uh, everything that we had before, we, we no longer had. You didn't have, yeah. you didn't have any, you didn't have the research library that the Disney studio had there were a lot of things that we suffered with i mean it forced us into discovering new things without um leaning on anything of the past that was that was great um you know you couldn't go and study some animation uh from the morgue anymore we had to like go uh well it's just me and my brain sitting in my chair close your eyes and dream it see it over and over and then do it. Forget being inspired by something. I mean, you could, you know, we still had our little eight millimeter films and stuff like that, you know, because uh, it kind of was before videotape. It, yeah. it was uh, we just didn't have our we had little super eight millimeter films that you could buy at Disneyland. You know, it was. Yeah, um, it was that kind of thing, you know. And but, you, could, you, you could view those uh, frame at a time on a little viewer. Right. You know, and, and, and that yeah. And actually, that was the, the the most primitive thing about learning with those eight millimeter films was that they they was twenty four frames a second. You could yeah. turn that thing. It wasn't video, which was sixty cycles, thirty frames a second. Right. Uh, that which would have to do a what they call a three two pull down, which is the, every every certain frames the computer has to morph a frame, add a frame to, to extend it to 30. Yeah. So that's why when you see uh, something moving like this in, in, in animation, it's it, 24 frames a second. It's very smooth in video. Anything that was done that you were looking at would go. Yeah. It had a little chop to yeah. it. Just yeah. like the uh, just like the Star Trek uh, thing at the beginning, the ship at the beginning of Star Trek, that thing's moving. And I always wondered, God, they made a mistake because it was going like that. Yeah, and it wasn't it was because they shot it on film and they transferred it to video, and you know, and that was it. All right, so listen, the first three episodes of of our interview so far with you have been fantastic, and they're really gone off the charts. And obviously, there's a little bit of controversy, but hey, it's Dave Spafford. There's always some amount of edge to it. Okay. Uh, but but a, 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 after uh, episode three last week. Uh, we uh, ended with uh, some great stories about Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the anim- and, and the Ken Weber animation desk we talked about. But I want to I want to step forward now onto after Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You went on to the Little Mermaid, right? When I came back, um, I was met by uh, John and Ron, and they said, "Hey, we are we're trying to get this film off the ground. Uh, there's no green light on it yet." Um, 
we're we're thinking of doing the under the sea sequence as a test to show uh, uh, Katzenberg and, and um, Eisner. And I had just come off of the piano duo in Roger Rabbit. And so I understood syncopating animation to uh, music. And you have a musical background. Right. And so so I ended up uh, agreeing to do this test. And I said, they said, can you get it done like in a month? And I was like, going, wow, you know, it's a lot of characters in that. If, you, if it's like it is in the storyboard, that that's a lot of characters. So I, I said, look, if I do it here, I won't be able to get it done because everybody's going to come around. It's going, oh, Dave's doing a test on Little Mermaid. You know, what are you what are you doing with their coffee cup? And I just said, let me can I can I work at home to get this done? And they went, sure. So I worked at home and cranked that out. It was it was so much fun. It really was fun. You know, I was like coming up with characters and, you know, uh, and it was kind of uh, the, the storyboards were very vague and the song was great. And but it just it just fell. It just fell together. You know, it was uh, it was really fun. Uh, and the music part of it was the easiest thing about it. You know, it was. Yeah. Um, um, and most of the characters that I were doing were characters that were first time seen in that sequence, you know, like. A and, and, and a lot of them were one offs. Right. Yeah. It would be just characters playing in it, uh, an instrument made out of seaweed or whatever it was, you know, it was, um, it, it was cool. And I love working with John and Ron. They were always like outside of Zemeckis. They were the only professional people that as far as directors go that I've ever worked with, you know, they, they made you feel like, Oh yeah, I know we want you to do this. It's like, Great, then I want to do it for you. Where uh, and, and Zemeckis was the same way. Zemeckis was, was you'd show him a a scene and he'd go, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh hey, everybody, come here. Oh that, yeah, that's Bugs Bunny." You know, and you're like going, "Just go on to the next scene." You're like going, "Why?" So he really? yeah, he wasn't hemming and hawing. He knew what no, he wanted, he like, and, when works, he, and when he saw it, it was like, "Okay, I love this." He didn't have to prove to me that he was a director. Yeah. He had that reputation, you know, yeah. Here he is. he's doing this film. He wants it right. And if you show him something, if you give him what he asked for, boom, you are done. Yeah. And, and that was like, oh, I'm not used to this. <laughs> I'm used to someone showing someone a scene and they go, oh, yeah, you know, uh, how about, you know, he, oh, he comes in that door with a cup of coffee and he sets it down. You know, now, now that I'm seeing this, you know, it's like, oh, hey, uh, Oh, I got it. He comes through that door and then he doesn't set the cup of coffee down. <laughs> and you're like, oh, hey, you idiot. You told me to have him come through that door and set the coffee down. What what has changed? Did I inspire you because you couldn't see it before and now you can? It's like look at the read the storyboards and get it in your head there. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, we've we've all worked with, with some directors who who just hemmed and hawed and never really could could make up their mind and and if you know if you look at something and it's right there's no reason to give a note you just go yeah exactly. that's it that it's working it, it looks great move on yeah. right exactly 
And uh, to me, that was everything you get, you get someone feeling good about like, Oh, oh, I just did a good scene. It's, it, it does something to somebody. And then you go back and knowing that you, I don't have to go back and rework that thing. Cause I already, I, I put all my best thoughts into it the first time. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's demoralizing as an animator, I think to have I to agree. constantly go back in and rework scenes. I mean, yeah. it's just, and, you know, especially after you follow the direction that was given to you, you know, right. when, when, when they, when they say, this is what I want and you come back with, here's what you told me you wanted. And then they say, yeah, but now I want something different. And you're like, ah, oh. and you're going, you know? that was a week and a half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hey, that that's a thirty-three foot scene. It's like, what, you idiot! So, so now you you animated, uh, you you roughed out the under the sea sequence. Uh, what happened next? Uh, handed that handed that in. Uh, it worked great. They were very happy with it. They inked and painted it, uh, put it to the soundtrack, showed it to everybody, and and. Uh, they got the idea of what these what these two guys were talking about, and and it was a smart move, you know. Yeah, yeah. I see. That's those guys, John and Ron. That's that's why they lasted so long, and they're still cool, you know. It's yeah, yeah. Great respect and, for those guys. And, and what'd you do? Uh, do you obviously they they made the movie. I worked on it. You worked on it. Uh, but you know, you you worked on it uh, for the entire time. Uh, no. No, I, okay. I worked on it. I end up doing I from after that, I went on to to do the title sequence. Mm-hmm. And so I was just getting ready to, to go do that. And uh, I I was walking to my room and Howard Ashman came up to me and he goes, he goes, you're doing the title sequence, right? I said, yes. And he goes, I've changed the song. He goes, I've introduced all of the characters in the opening, so we don't have to do it later. Mm-hmm. And so he goes, here's, here's a rough cassette of the music. It's totally different from what you have, but it's better. Mm. And I went, great. And he goes, he goes, sorry, but the, it won't work with the, with the boards that are already done. And I went, even better, because I didn't do the boards and I'd rather do them myself. <laughs> and so that was I was like going ah this is great so I was going back to my room on my way to my room uh, one of the producers it's probably safer to not say names um, stopped me and said how much uh, footage are you going to get out this week on the title sequence and I said none and she goes um, I, I got to put down something and I went okay put down uh, 50 feet, 50 feet. That's a lot. <laughs> you can do 50 feet. No, but it's a good number. You'll look good. And when, it, <laughs> when and when, it, when I don't come in, I'll, I am the one who failed. And, <laughs> and, and I don't mind uh, explaining why Howard Ashman took change of thing. Da, 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 da. You know, I have to storyboard it, animate it, clean it up, Incom- you know, there's going to be all this stuff that has to be done. You know, it's like, well, no, first you, they have to record the song. Yeah. And we have to track read it. Then I storyboard it and animate it. And, you know, and she just what she just went. 
I, 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 I can't put that down. I can't, I can't do that. I said, I said, well, what do you want me to say? She goes, I need sort of a realistic number of how much animation you're going to get out this week. I said, okay, put down five feet. That's two feet more than the average person here does a week. Right. Okay. So you're going to do five feet. No, I can't. The song hasn't been recorded yet. No animation could be done. It's like, this isn't, this isn't me making these decisions. This is, it's just a fact. Howard came up to me and said, Hey, can you do this? And I, you know, and I was fine with that, but I cannot tell you how much footage is going to happen this week. And and there was that these, these, some of these production people were new to animation. They didn't really know the process. Right. Well, in fact, everybody that became head of the animation department back in those days came from other places and didn't know what animation was. Yeah. The only thing they knew was, is they didn't really like it. And it was a stepping stone to live action. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what I always felt. It's like, you're, you're hating this. I, I think initially some of those folks may may not have loved it and were looking at it as a potential stepping stone to something else. But I do think some of them eventually really got it and and really understood the process. But it took a while. Right. I mean, it was, I, I mean, you remember back in those days, it was always great to see some newbie in a production management position, like towards the end of the uh, the schedule when things were really hectic and we were all doing overtime. They, they, the blood would drain out of their heads because they they yeah. just thought we were never going to make the, the they release didn't know how to problem solve. Yeah, we were never going to make the release date. How could we make it? There's so much work left to do, you know. So yeah. That was always fun to watch. Well, you know, and then they got smart and then they started putting people with animation talent into those positions. Yeah. You know, I know it, it, even you went, you, you were producing for a while, weren't you? Well, I, I moved up into visual effects supervision and then I became a producer and a yeah. creative and then, director fact, and things like really- that. And I, and I understood the entire process and I knew how to get things done efficiently. Yeah. You know, See, that, so. that's, that's the course it's supposed to take. Yeah. You know, is someone who comes from it, no, understands it, you know. Um, yeah, it's always, it's always been a problem in animation, people skipping the in-between section. going the, from, the, fun, the, the fundamentals, really, <laughs> skipping the fundamentals. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's always been a problem. It's, yeah. it's always been a problem. And, uh, it's still, and by the way, no surprise, it still is. Right. You know, I, I, I continue to hear stories on a regular basis of, of people in, in, you know, quote, leadership positions producing and stuff like that who are making decisions only to like four or five months later have to redo stuff, you know, right. the right way. The secret to animation is to instill into the person that they're doing the right thing, you know, to make them feel like oh, I'm doing the right thing. Then they then next thing you know, they're working after work. You know, you walk by the room, and you're going, oh, what are you doing here? Oh, well, you know, it's like it's, it's 11 o'clock. They're not getting paid overtime. They're doing it because someone went, wow, that's fantastic. Oh, I, I can't wait. Oh, the next scene's going to be great. I can't wait to see it. But but that that's the sign to me of a true artist. 
you know, is that you start working on something and you get into that zone and you know what I'm talking about, Dave, you get into that zone and you just keep going until you feel like you're done for the day. You're not watching the clock to hit five so you could run out the door. You're loving what you do and you're passionate about it. And you're just going to do it as long as you can do it in one sitting before you say, okay, I'm, I'm done for today. You know, I mean, that's what it boils down to. Yeah. And anytime someone alters that, that way, it just becomes tedious. And and then all of a sudden it becomes something that you hate, you know, and the majority of majority of things that I've worked on is always has has been like, oh, man, it's like I'm in hell because I'm, I'm I've been working on this scene for forever because yeah. someone keeps they keep changing you know and then you get oh it's like yeah we're gonna do this time. well that's what you told me yeah but they re- they changed the storyboards yeah we, we came we had some other ideas on story and it's like the whole idea when when disney ran his studio was the storyboards were there to flush out an idea to see if it works amongst people who understand looking at drawings that aren't moving Right. And so when you have animation uh, storyboards going and, and everybody's in the room and they're laughing and they get it, it's done. Yeah. You don't change it. Once the boards are approved, you move on. But now everybody, they'll, they'll go, they'll go, ah, you know, what's not working, but let's re-storyboard it. Let's do this. You know, well, it wasn't working before, you know, you, you weren't ready when you threw it into animation. But everybody's got to get things going. Let's like, you know, it, it it's always been a problem. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of problems. So, so, so what happened with the title sequence of Little Mermaid? Uh, we. Well, OK, let me see. So what happened was, is I went back to my room. She went to the heads of all departments and said I I was out of control and they called me in. I explained it to everybody and I'm going, tell me how to, how to deal with this differently. What is the answer that I should have given to her? I, and I, in fact, I, I said, I even asked her, what do you want me to say? And I'll say it. Yeah. And I'll take full responsibility. If I don't come up with this footage that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, yeah, how, how are you going to get, how are you going to do footage that, you can't do because they haven't recorded the song and there's no storyboard yet. So what happened was, was they, uh, Peter Schneider ended up putting me in a warehouse on the far side of Imagineering. It was just, it was a, uh, the heart street warehouse. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah, It was like, and now there was no air conditioning. There were no yeah. rooms in there. It was a building with a bunch of chrome furniture yeah. all piled in a pile in the middle of the thing. It's like the, the, the warehouse guys were having soccer games with furniture and, and, and forklifts, you know, it was that kind of thing. And I was just sitting in there, I was just boiling and I, I'm like, oh, okay, so what am, what am I going to be doing here? And they're going, eh, well, we're going to put you in this thing called special projects. Yeah. Well, Special projects was my idea when we came off of Roger Rabbit. I'm going, hey, 
everybody's going to want shorts done from these films, from this film. And I think we should make them. And so there, so they made it sound like they were, it was like this thing that they were giving me, but it was my idea. And so I went on to doing that. And then while I was one, after I had storyboarded a, a short uh, with Roger Rabbit, they said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to bring some guys in to help you. And I went, cool. And they, you know, it was a bunch of guys and all of a sudden they came in, but what they had done was they got together on the weekend and storyboard their own idea. Uh, and so I just kind of went, ah, you know what? I'm, this is just, what, what am I doing here? Why, why am I doing this? You know? And then it was like, it was like, then there was a couple of some the the sixty third Academy Awards. You did some animation for that little cameo thing. Did you work on? Well, that? It was going to be Roger at the Oscars, right? And so they pulled me off of the shorts. You know, Peter Schneider says, "You know, we're taking you off the shorts." Yeah, he's still messing with me because first time I met him, I accidentally insulted him. <laughs> yeah. Remember when they were? Remember when we all came? We came to work one day and they gave us all pieces of paper. Stand in line where the, the they had all the cells in a room, and they said, "Oh yeah, you could go yeah. in and, and for, li- for the Little Mermaid cells, right?" Uh, no, uh, mouse mouse detective. Oh, great mouse detective. Yeah, that, that, they, they would lay the cells. They would lay the cells out on a conference room table. Yeah, and you they did it for two. Little Mermaid. They did it for mouse detective. Yeah, you could take two cells out. Yeah. And so everybody's obviously going for their cells. And sure. and so I'm standing in line and Peter Snyder stops and and he goes, he goes, oh, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm standing in line. And I had the green piece of paper in my hand. Yeah. And he goes, you didn't work on that film. I said, I know. But they gave me this piece of paper. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to take my cells. <laughs> so here I am. And actually, I, I told Matt O'Callaghan and Sean Keller, Hey, when we go in there, pick an extra cell and, and I'll walk out with it and then I'll give it to you. I didn't, I didn't want the cells. Sure. So Peter Schneider goes, Hey, well, don't take any of the good ones. And I just went, do you draw? And he goes, no. And I went, well, then you're not going to know the difference. <laughs> and then everybody, in the, as he just kind of got weird and took off. And then everybody, everybody in line just went, oh, my God, what did you do? How did you do that? And I went, what did I do? Don't you know who that is? I went, no, that's Peter Schneider. He he was head of the department. And I went, oh, oh. I, just, I just came back. It's uh, fantastic. So anyway, he didn't like me. So that's why he was always messing with me. That's why he put me in the warehouse. Yeah. That's why, you know, that's when then he took me off of the shorts. And then, so then I go, okay, we're going to have you do this um, commercial for Splash Mountain. And I'm going, great. And with Roger Rabbit, I'm going, great. So it's going to be the Roger Rabbit style and the, the shadows and everything, highlights. They, yes, great. So I storyboarded up the whole thing and uh, we went down to Disneyland and it was this chicken wire mountain. Yeah. Yeah. They were just building it. Yeah. They had the, they had the, the uh, canals going through it. Yeah. 
logs were going to float in. The, the, yeah, so we were kind of walking around going, okay, what's going to be here? Oh, this right here is, uh, this is where Br'er Bear is in a trap. He's got, he's all bundled okay. up. And I said, okay, so I'm taking pictures. We get back, we have a meeting and they went, all right. Um, how long is it going to take you to get this done? And it was the same thing again. I'm like going, well, I, they're going, I count how much you're going to be able to get done this month. And I'm going, none. They're going, well, we can't have that. I'm going, well, they haven't built the ride yet. So this is live action with animation over the top. Once we get that live action done, we make photo stats and then we animate over the top. Yeah. Oh, we have, but you know, this, this, this commercial is supposed to come out two months before the ride does. I'm going, I, I get that. I, I, yeah, it would be fantastic for it to come out two months before the ride, but the ride's not done yet. Yeah. They lost their minds over that. And all of a sudden now there he goes again. He's being difficult. I'm not being anything. I'm just telling you how stupid it's what this thing that you're telling me, how stupid it sounds. It's like, it's crazy. What do you, it's like, it just doesn't make any sense. And so yeah, it's like, how, how, how can you do the animation if you don't have live action plates to do exactly. the animation to, if that's the concept for the commercial? Exactly. And so all of a sudden, then, then that turned into a, he's, oh, he's too difficult to work with. And so I ended up going in, I ended up sitting in my room, just going, man, what is good? You know what? They're baiting me. They're trying to piss me off. So I leave by with all this absurd stuff. All right. Do I stay and fight these guys with stupid shit like this? Or do I, do I just go and do something different? You know, it's like, there's a whole world out there. I don't need to be here at this place is trying to relive the past. I, I, you know, I'm just, and I piled up everything that was in my room in a neat little pile, everything that was theirs. The desk I had in my room was mine. Yeah. And I called Kent holiday and said, Hey, bring your uh, truck over. I said, I need to move my desk. Oh, okay. He comes over. We move my desk, go home. I'm at home for like two weeks and I get a call and they're going, where are you? We've been, where did you, what where room are you in now? We've gone everywhere. We, we don't know where you're at. <laughs> and I said, I'm at home. Two weeks later, they didn't even know you were out of the studio. Yeah. I'm, I'm at home and they're going, well, what? And I just went, look, it's just, it doesn't, this doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. And so, so that was that I, I had, I had stepped out of the house and was now thinking, all right, now what am I going to do? Patty Conklin calls me and she goes, she goes, Hey, I heard someone saying that you might, you might be starting your own studio. I'm like, yeah. You know, out of necessity. Was, was, was that really when you started your own studio? Yeah. Cause I, I, I thought it was later than that. But it was it was that early. Right. Right. After it was like 91, 91, 92. Yeah. Yeah. OK. And, 
For some uh, reason, I had it in my head that it was more like mid '90s, mid to late '90s that you started no, drawing. Right after, right yeah. after a couple little odd projects. Yeah. Uh, after Little Mermaid, and um, I mean, all I was gone before Little Mermaid was finished. Right. Right. But I had been working on the odd little projects on the side because they had taken me off of Little Mermaid. Right. Right. And yeah, so. Um, I'm what, was, what was the first project you did for your company? Well, uh, Patty had said, look, I, the only reason I'm calling is because we, we keep getting people calling us to do Roger Rabbit commercials and, hey, we want Other, to do yeah. our commercial. And they go and she's telling them we don't do commercials for people. Right. And then she goes, have these people that just keep on calling. Do you mind if I just give them your number? Would you would you want to do a commercial? And I went, Sure. Yeah. And it was some craft cheese commercial from um No, no, no. The first one was this uh, it was a uh Nomura Bank. It was a Japanese bank commercial with, with with Disney characters? No. Had nothing to do with Disney. Oh, okay. This was just a company that was going to Disney going, "Oh, will you do some animation for us?" Ah, gotcha. And they're gotcha. going, "No, no, gotcha. it's, uh, sorry, we don't do animation for other companies." And so so they called me up and I, they, they go, um, we've been kicking this commercial around. We've had it at several studios and people, it's people aren't doing, ex they're just not doing what we want. It's not coming off. Right. The director's not going this, these they're, they're not doing it right. So you're our last, our, our, our last hope for this. It's like, yeah. we, we, someone said, Hey, we'll try this guy there. He just started a studio. And so, and I, I'm like, going, I don't know what to charge for a full commercial with live action and animation. Yeah. I'm just like, going, man, there. And, and the, the, the guy goes, um, yeah, we, we just took it away from a couple studios and, and, um, and we're kind of running out of time. We've spent a lot of time. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll do it for $5,000 less than what anybody else said that they, they would they, do it for. Right. So whoever was the lowest, put me $5,000 lower than that. And <laughs> let's just, let's just do this thing. And they actually, they said, you can do this for $147,000. I would have done it for 7,000. <laughs> yeah and you got to remember though I, I mean we're talking 1991 1992 yeah, and commercials so, big. yeah and 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 they had big budgets and yeah. that that actually was a big budget because you yeah. were talking what a 30 second commercial yeah yeah so that was a good that was a healthy budget but so I, you also I, had you had like an eight-week schedule uh i think we had, I know, we had we had two weeks Really? Two yeah, weeks. they were in a panic because they had, they had an air date. Yeah, and, and they bought the they bought the airtime, so that's what they were up against. Right. Yeah, and the, so the studios couldn't deliver it, so they're like going, "We're in a panic." Da -da -da -da. Yeah. And I all and I kind of said, "This was my reason for dealing with the panic." I said, "I'll do this for you." Everybody else said it was going to take three to five months. I'll do it for you in two weeks but you have to leave me alone. You have to not come over. Just let me live and breathe this thing. 
and me and my studio will do this thing. And when you said me and my studio, it was really you. It yeah. was you, you, me, yourself, me and, and I. Yeah, right? me, me, and, me and Debbie. Yeah. And, uh, um, and so, but then it was like, oh, that's a hell of a budget. I said, I'll hire some of my friends. Yeah. Help out, and then we can kind of make it look good instead of just super rushing this out. I mean, I could have done it, but it was, it's all on ones and it was a turtle in a boat on water. Yeah. And it was yeah, like, yeah. Oh God. You know, it was, a, it was a very challenging piece, but, but they had the live action already shot. No, we had to shoot that. You had to shoot the live action. Yeah. Wow. And we did that in a day and it, the whole thing was kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. And so I ended up hiring a handful of guys and, and we knocked it out and yeah. Uh, and, th- and that was the birth of SPAF animation. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, and you know, we were like going, God, this is what commercials make. Oh my God, this is going to be, you know, we're, we're like going, oh, we, God, we just, we'll just do a couple commercials a year and just. And that, goof off the rest of the time. Yeah. And just <laughs> have a great time traveling. And, um, and but then all of a sudden the, the gates opened up and everybody heard that we were there and we started doing man we worked on everything. You were doing stuff for MTV, mm-hmm. uh, and then Warner's reached out to you. We you worked on Space Jam with your company, am I right? Did they farm out a portion? Of yeah, the yeah. Then we we did we did one sequence uh, in, in Space Jam. Yeah, and then we then we started doing. Um, Sequences for Disney. Right. What, Believe what, it or not, after all the bullshit, they came around. Uh, and I'm not even sure if Peter Schneider even knew that we were doing it. Yeah. Or that they were doing it. But they called up and said, hey, would, would you want to do a sequence, a musical sequence in Pocahontas? And I'm going, yeah, okay. And so I had about 18 guys at that point. And they and were all good animators. They were all ex-Disney people. Right. And and so I ended up we we got into this thing and, and again I just I my this I learned a lesson. It's like always say, Well, I don't know, you know, it's like kind of make them feel like you're not gonna do it. But then I tell you what, I'll do it if you if you, if no one comes over to the studio to see what we're doing, I will on certain scheduled things bring it to you. You can, we can, you can ask all the questions you want. Look at the rough. We'll do, we'll play it that way. And they went, you just, you just didn't want people hovering over you. I didn't want anybody interrupting my guys. Right. Right. Because here's how I, here's after working with Zemeckis, this is how I worked everything. I would, I'd have a scene for an animator. I'd have the layouts and everything done. I'd say, all right, this is what's happening. This is what I need you to do. He has to do this, this, this. He has to start here, go through this, pick up that over there, walk over there, and then hook up with the with the next scene. Right. If you do it right, if you do it with those things involved, I don't care what you do in the scene or how you do it. Just hit those marks and you're going to do it once. I said, I'm not going to allow you to do it twice. If yeah. it doesn't look right, you are going to have to live with it. Yeah. I said, I, I'm, I'm going to, I, we, we got to, this is an enormous project and we've got to do this right. And so 
And I said, if if down the road we end up getting these things that are that aren't working, then we'll fix it, you know, and that that's the idea of everybody going, wow, I just have to do this once. And if I do a good job, I get to go to the next scene. And every one of my guys had never had that. But that's how that's how Zemeckis did it. He got you all enthused. And to the point where, man, you were willing to do uh, overtime for nothing. Yeah, but he gave you all the information you needed all to, do of the scene, to do the scene correctly. And if you followed his direction, right. the scene was approved. Right. If he's telling the actor, which the animator is, um, this is, this is what you have to do. If you do it, you can do it however you want it. And he just left it. You were done. Yeah. And so we, we end up doing that the momentum and the amount of footage that you could do on Roger Rabbit, even though it was on ones. Yeah. And it was like insane with the cameras turning and all that stuff. Yeah. It still worked. Yeah. I, I, I shaped my whole studio after the experience with Zemeckis. Oh, that's awesome to hear that. Yeah. Now, now you went on to Space Jam and you did a sequence. Did did those rules apply for that? Did you say I, I'll yeah. do the sequence, but don't come to my studio, and we're only right. going to do this like you know? And they were. What was good about them was, or what was good about that situation was, I had already um, let them know how much I knew about this process. When they called me in to work on Space Jam, I basically was, I had, I met with uh, uh, Joe Pitka. Yeah, I remember him. Now, Joe Pitka was a guy who thought he was. Um, he, he was Sam. the director. He was the yeah. director, wasn't the he? The live yeah. action director. Yeah. But he, he loved the, the whole idea of Sam Peckinpah. You know, treat everybody like shit. Come in and scare the fuck out of everybody. You know, he was one of those guys. And so we're having this meeting and he's like got his feet up on the table and, you know, and just talking to me like I'm some piece of shit. And they showed me the sequence and it was Michael Jordan in a green room with a bunch of guys in green suits playing basketball. And so there, this guy walks in front of Michael Jordan with the basketball bouncing it. And he goes, they're going, that's Tweety. Tweety will be where the ball, bouncing the ball. And I went, well, what about, what about, it's the the guy in the green suits completely wiping out all of Michael Jordan. Oh no, that's green screen. It'll, it'll disappear. I said, yeah, it will. You'll get rid of the green, but so are Michael Jordan's legs because he's behind the guy in the green suit on this strip of film. I said, the only way that this can be done is if we make Tweety really big and he's bouncing. We'll have to get rid of the uh, we're, we're going to have to animate the basketball because we can't use the guy in the green suit. It's basketball. Mm-hmm. It's too far away. It's too close to Michael Jordan. So we'll have a basketball that's close to the thing and, and Tweety will go by. That's the only way you can do that scene. Yeah, the, the, scale, the, the scale was off. He didn't understand that. Yeah, he didn't understand that anytime Green got in front of Michael Jordan, that it's gone unless right. you can fill that space with a character. Yeah, but if it's a tiny character and the Green guy is huge, 
you're, he's wiping out everything, anybody yeah. in this live action. And, and, and Joe Pitt is going, look, you idiot. It's green screen. It'll all drop out. And I went, okay. Okay. You guys have a great time. I don't want anything to do with this. And I left. We walked out. Yeah. Me and my rep walked out. And a month later, the producer calls me up and he goes, uh, you were right. Is that Ron Tip? Yeah. yeah. Who I did the guy. I, I thought he was great. Yeah, Ron Tip was terrific. He was a, he was a friend of mine. I, I, I loved him. Yeah. Um, I mean, he... He was a, he was a, he was a good producer, and a funny guy. Yeah, he um, he he goes. You're right. He goes. Is there any way we can fix this? And I'm going. Yeah, we'll have to cut a couple scenes out. We'll have to rearrange it. We're gonna have to make another game, but we can. It can be done. We're gonna have to have characters a little bit different in scale. It's strategically uh, placed. I mean, yeah, yeah you, and you so. Know. And so we worked on that. We, we grabbed that sequence specifically because there was, they weren't, they weren't going to figure, they, they couldn't figure out how to fix it. Sure. I said, just let me have it. We'll make it work. And, you know, I had some good guys at my studio. I had Tom McGrath, Dave Wasson, mm -hmm. um, Shane Zalvin. Um, yeah, I had, I had a handful of guys that were just like, I just go, okay, here's what we got to do. We got to make this work. And we did. It was, um, it ended up being fun. I mean, uh, Joe Pitka was gone. I think they, end, I think they fired him in the end. I think, I, I think they let it took him off the film and cause he was gone when, when we were putting together the live action with the animation, he was gone. He still, he still got director credit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was kind of a, kind of a, a nightmare. Wow. And, 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 you know, what was funny was my rep, this is like, so we're discussing this whole thing and I'm going, yes, it can be fixed. And they're going, well, where do you want to do this? And my rep just throws out a number that I did. I about fell out of my chair. That's good and, though. Yeah. And Ron, Ron just goes, slams his hand on the, on the table. And he goes, done. Give him what, it, give him what he wants. And nobody go over to the studio or bug them or do anything. Just let these guys do what they do. <laughs> and we went back and we did it. And we we saved a sequence that was uh, was really in trouble. We in the end, we, we, we did most. We we broke it down so that they could so that it could work. And then um, and it was but it was kind of boring. And I, I wanted to, there was another sequence that was about cleaning up the, um, uh, making, creating the gymnasium. Yeah. And I was just like, going, let us do that with, you know, it's like a billion characters. It's like, uh, you're, you're going to want these characters to look like these characters. They're all yeah. in, a lot of them aren't in the rest of the film, you know, for very long. And so I, we ended up doing that and we jumped off of the game. we, we we worked it out so that it, it could be done, you know. Uh, Bruce Smith and those guys they 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 took that thing and made it sing. Yeah. And um, yeah, I didn't want to have anything. I I didn't really want to have anything to do with it. It was like 
we proved them wrong and then we ended up working on another sequence. <laughs> so so this, I think this is a good place for us to stop right now, Dave. Uh, I think we're bumping up against time. So I, I want to say thanks for being back uh, for a fourth time, uh, the Skull Rock Pop podcast. And we're going to see you next <laughs> week. As the crowd is wild, crowd, we're going to see you next week for part five and maybe wrap it up. I don't know. I'm having such a good time hearing your stories. We may just keep going for the rest of the year. Who knows? But anyway, Dave, <laughs> I'll see you next week. Thank you. We'll start our own union. <laughs> your attention, please. Now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. Uh, he's a straight shooter, and I like it, and I really like the authenticity of Mr. Dave Spaffer. Dave, an unprecedented number four interview. I can't believe it. No, it's uh, it, it was fantastic talking with Dave and really, you know, spending the time to hear some of these stories uh, behind the scenes on Little Mermaid and how he got Spaff animation off the ground. I mean, just uh, really, really terrific. I love it. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I believe we have part five uh, getting ready to unleash on yourselves uh, next week. It should be an amazing show. Um, I it's unprecedented. What a great guy, Dave Spafford. Uh, and I'm looking forward to just uh, uh, sitting, kicking back and listening to this awesome interview. And uh, it's going to be great. So next week, that's what you'll get. Um, and then if you love this show, don't forget to subscribe wherever you find podcasts. We're, of course, we're on all the major uh, podcast platforms wherever you find us. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, our streaming partner, Sorcerer Radio. Thank you so much at srsounds.com. You can also send us those emails. We'd love for you to do that. Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com or Aljon at SkullRockPodcast.com. Be sure to leave us those five-star reviews and follow us on Facebook, X slash Twitter. Uh, we're all individually on LinkedIn as well. So be sure to check that out. And uh, be sure to check out me on Instagram, Aljon Go, and uh, also our sister show, Dining at Disney, and with me and my wife, Kristen. Dave, it's all you. Well, Al John, uh, as always, uh, I just want to let our listeners know that my House of the Future book is out. Uh, uh, the uh, people who ordered the author signed copy early uh, are uh, getting theirs uh, and have been getting them over the past week and into this week. So uh, if you're interested, you can go to the oldmillpress.com for an author signed copy. Uh, and uh, my Nightmare Before Christmas book apparently is down at the Destination D in Orlando. Wow. It, does, it doesn't release until December, uh, until September 20, uh, 26th. Uh, and they have them down in Orlando, and I still haven't gotten my copies yet. <laughs> That's craziness. How's that possible? Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, with that, uh, go out and have a fantastic week, everybody. As always, uh, be good to one another, and we'll see you back here next Monday on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List podcast, as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock podcast. Here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. 
you are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. 